Last week we had an opportunity, just as a quick recap, to be able to say that you have uniquely and beautifully been designed and crafted by the God of the universe with desires, meant to be humans who have desire and for those desires to be fulfilled, desires to be who you were made to be and to be able to do what you were made to do. But we also saw that sin is, as the scripture described, crouching around the door, ready to make shipwreck of those desires. And so there's this colossal battle that's taking place that sin wants to come in to mutilate and shipwreck and shift and distort the things that you have been made for. And so it stands that as a primary vehicle for us to experience, for us to actually experience the fullness of life and how we were made, that God would give to us and share with us his heart. That God wants us to experience fullness, but I can, but you, you and I get to see that we can guarantee that the primary way that the enemy then would come against us is in the way we were made. That a primary aim from the enemy is just to distort how we were made. If part of our design is for us to be able to step into the fullness, then the enemy's coming after that design. And if sin and the enemy can confuse or distract or change or mar or blunt or distort, then sin will do that and certainly the enemy will. Never have we seen that more active and more alive than in our current Western, what you and I might call European or American culture, over the issue of gender and sexuality, that this is a primary issue going on in the world in which we live. Now, I want to be really clear. Every culture over all time has wrestled throughout history, has wrestled with the attempt of sin and Satan to distort how we were made. It's been going on from the dawn of time. It's not a new Western thing that is happening. Hear this. It's been going on from the beginning, especially with respect to our gender and to our sexuality. Almost every culture has experienced some, that, some of that. However, for us in what we would call these traditional cultures that were founded on Judeo-Christian principles over the last you know, uh, 2,000 years, those cultures, those places that were shaped, what we are seeing now is a, a radical shift in the ideology away from God's design. And apart from really a miraculous move of God, it's only going to intensify which I think that means it's incumbent upon the church. It's incumbent upon us, just as it was, by the way, in the first century, to be able to speak to these places of humanity, to be able to bring clarity to the people of God, and to be able to bring the Father's heart 
to a world that is broken so that they might experience healing and life that comes from living in the kingdom of God. We have to say something. We have to speak to it. In fact, Jesus spoke to issues of sexuality himself. And then as the gospel began to go out, we saw the leadership of the world went outside of the Jewish world and it went into what we'd call the Gentile world, which is the rest of us, non-Jewish world. That as the truth of the gospel began to spread out, the power of the gospel began to move into all kinds of cultures and to begin to call all cultures, by the way, people designed in the image of God back to how they were made and who they were made to be. And so they would deal with issues of gender and they dealt with issues of sexuality. Those were things that the gospel speaks to with clarity. And I believe if faithful leaders like Jesus and his disciples and his apostles were doing the same as the church was being planted, then faithful churches and pastors are meant to speak to it today. And so I just want to address a few things in terms of how we were made and God's design, his glorious, beautiful design over our lives. And so the question is this, what does God actually say about our gender? What does the Bible have to say to us? We get to ask. And it starts with this, one more than anything I could possibly say here in one setting. So we're going to make a the best attempt we can in a 25 or 30 minute window to be able to share with you from the heart of the Father. But what we'll get to see as we get into the scriptures, the Bible only identifies two sexes, male and female. Male and female, that's it. Might be preaching to the choir a little bit this morning, but maybe not. Because as our culture continues to wrestle with this idea, it is entirely possible that you might find yourself wrestling a little bit or you are close to or near someone who's asking these kinds of questions. But Genesis gives us this picture of how God made things before centered into the equation. And Genesis is incredibly clear. God made humanity unique and special from all of creation. Now listen, I love all of creation. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. All of it is good. It declares the glory of God. We've talked about that in the uh, previous weeks. But each day as God's coming in in Genesis chapter one and creating the earth, every day he steps back and what does he say and he saw that it was good 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 that's but now that's powerful because when God says something is good what he's actually doing is he's defining for us what good actually is he isn't like like when it says that God saw that it was good he isn't going like oh I made an anteater well that was cool Neat. All right, what's next? God wasn't, didn't step back and was surprised by it. When God said it was good, he was declaring something. He's saying to all of creation, this is what you were made for. When God defines something as good, he's saying, this is what you were designed for. This is what you were made to be. And this is where fullness happens. But unlike all of creation, there was something unique with us. 
And in Genesis chapter 1, 27, he says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. There, now listen, male and female, he created them. In the midst of all the things that he created, only humans are made in the image of God. And I want to emphasize this. We're made. You're made. You are so much more. Hear this. You're not just a detached biological construct. And although there's beautiful biology in how all of us have been made, you've been, hear this, designed by a good, good father. You're designed. You're made. You're chemical Emotional, spiritual, physical makeup has been designed. And he has purpose and intent for your design as male and female. Even more, the differences in our biological sexes, is it's a distinct way we actually get to reflect the glory of God. The point of being male, the point of being female, is to be able to reflect to the entire earth, to all of creation. This is what our God is like. At this moment, God could have stepped back if he wanted to create an androgynous community of people, he could have created it. If he wanted to step back in creation and create 10 or 12 or 37 genders, this is the moment to do it. But what God does is intent, in his intent and design, it says, there are two ways my people made in my image will reflect my glory, will express who I am, male and female. And it'll be beautiful. And it's amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. There's something in each sex. There's something in each gender that conveys the goodness, the beauty, the magnificence of our God. It's who he is. You are a reflection as a male, as a female of his heart. But secondly, hear this. The Bible doesn't consider sex and gender to be separate realities. They're not separate things. Throughout all the scripture, you'll find over and over that biological females are women. And biological males are men. And there is no distinction throughout the entirety of the word of God. Those two are uniquely Linked, And it really isn't up until even the 70s before the idea of gender and the word sex became distinct or different things. Up until that point in time, gender and sex were one and the same. But as things began to morph, and I'd say probably not disassociated from the sexual revolution of the 60s, where things began to come into play and humanity started to think, as humanity always has throughout history, what ways can we glorify ourselves? As we talked about, again, I encourage you to go back to last week and how that happens in the human framework. We began to see that there was a normalizing 
of the idea that we would call transgender. In simple terms, transgender be someone who feels or believes they were born in the wrong body. They're a female born in a male body or vice versa, this thought process. Gender dysphoria has become a, uh, a, another term used to describe when someone experiences or feels distress because they were born, or in their perception, born in the wrong body. And so there's tons of question about how this could happen and how this takes place in humanity. There's a lot of people that are asking the question, do you actually believe someone could be transgender? Do you think that someone can experience gender dysphoria? And the answer is, absolutely. Absolutely. The question is, how? How do we get here? How does someone who is a male believe that they are a female or vice versa? And scripture answers with clarity, as we got to speak to a little bit last week. The way it happens is through sin. Sin is what confuses or shifts or mars or comes against or depresses the truth of the heart of God. And that, unfortunately, church, is something that you and I wrestle with from birth or the way that David, as he's worshiping the Lord, would describe it in Psalm 51.5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Meaning this, sin can have its broad effect from the beginning. We're born into the world sinful. And sin here, this church, is going to manifest itself in massive ways. In ways that can't even be limited Right? Sin confuses, sin deceives, sin causes us to think wrongly about things. And because sin is far ranging in its effect, there are some who will experience confusion or deception when it comes to their sex or their gender identity. If you want to know how or why this happens, it is not the heart of God or the part of God's design. It is the effect of sin on humanity. I had the privilege, uh, it was maybe not quite two years ago, to go to uh, a conference hosted by Think Media. And um, a gentleman who's kind of is on the forefront of just asking questions about this. His name is Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Uh, Sprinkle, is that right? I got that. Sprinkle it is. It's a fun last name. Um, he's a great thought leader on many of these issues and just trying to speak to it. And in this conference, he had an opportunity to sit down with a young woman who had spent years of her life as a trans man. 
uh, and had detransitioned. And he was able to have a dialogue with her about it. And at the outset of the interview, this woman's name is Helena. She explains very succinctly and very clearly how she got to the place of being and walking as a man or as a trans man. And I wanted you to just be able to hear from her voice what she said. You, you heard me talk about rapid onset very briefly and very controversial. Everything I said is controversial. Can you tell your story as it relates to this topic? Yeah, so... I think it's a shame that rapid onset, gen like this idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria is so controversial because the first time I looked at this study, this was after I'd already detransitioned, um, meaning that I stopped my trans identity, um, I actually thought that it really resembled everything that the study found, like the high rates of uh, depression, anxiety, self-harm. I found that that really reflected my experience and the experience of so many young people that I'd known both in high school and in college. Um, so I, I think it's very accurate. And when I look back on myself as a child, um, I wasn't really a tomboy. I didn't have any gender dysphoria as a child. Um, I looked forward to wearing dresses. I liked getting little makeup kits for Christmas and stuff. So there was no real indication that I would ever grow up to identify as trans or want to become a boy. Um, and it all happened very, very rapidly around the time I was 15. And when I look back on that, I see the roots in me joining online communities, particularly Tumblr, um, and kind of distancing myself from friends in real life and peers in real life, and just kind of getting really embroiled in this community online where everything was about social justice, everything was about gender all the time. And there was these hierarchical ways of looking at people. Like it was bad to be a cis, not trans, straight white girl. And that's what I was, I was a straight white girl. And I felt that that was very bad at the time being in these communities. So eventually that combined with my mental health issues, I had a lot of body image issues, um, I was very socially self-conscious, um, that all kind of combined together and resulted in me originally identifying as non-binary, but over the course of a few years, it kind of just snowballed into full-on trans. So I don't know if you, you caught it, but that was the uh, active opportunity of the culture to confuse and to distort, to say, no, no, how you've been designed is, isn't actually okay. It's less than. And this girl's journey through this issue came from this place of even social, cultural pressure ex ex exerted, if you will, by sin in the world to tell her how she was made was not right. And it's that confusion. There's, these active, there's an active aim to erase the differences that God created through the genders. And people are now more confused than they ever have been. And I, I'm seeing it happening within the church. Please hear my uh, pastoral heart. This issue is beginning to morph into what you and I might call a religion 
in which there's a full-scale ideology that exists in the culture around us around this issue of uh, gender dysphoria or being trans. And it's permeating our culture through movies and through music and through TV and through news media and certainly social media as you got to just hear the testimony that its aim is to look at you and to say for you to belong, you must be different. We're actually in the first generation, I think, uh, where people experiencing gender, people are, are experiencing gender dysphoria in order to be, and if you'll allow me to use the term cool, in order to be accepted, in order to find identity. And I hope you feel that. There is such a desperation in the human heart to belong. Everyone, listen to me. Every single one of us are desperate to belong. We want to be known and loved and treasured and cherished. We're desperate for it. And people are searching for it. And sin is waving its hand saying, you can have identity outside of your creator, apart from that you're meant to even. And people, the confusion has risen up and God is saying, I've made you binary, male and female, all throughout the word. Now listen, scripture actually allows for within being male and female a much wider expression of our manhood and womanhood than often I think we allow, right? You, you don't have to hunt or love MMA to be a man. Can, I, can we just, you know, mixed martial arts, UFC, okay? You don't have to love guns to be a man, okay? Our, our culture, we, we can even do this in the church, just let's be honest, Okay? Uh, King David, he was a great warrior over Goliath. What was he before that? He was a little kid playing a harp, writing poetry. Come on. Come on. Listen, you know, women are praised certainly throughout Scripture for, bearing, for being able to have babies, have children, which in some ways is like more aggressive than MMA, even in that, I feel like. Just come on. In some ways, in all the way, I've, you know, I've been party to it. I have reverence for you ladies, okay? I feel it. But here, we thank God for all the tenderness and all those things, but we get to see also all throughout Scripture when men wouldn't step up and do their job. We have examples of women. We have Deborah who, would sit, who stood on the forefront as a, the general of an army to accomplish God's purposes. You know the Proverbs 31 woman? That girl's an entrepreneur. She's up in the morning getting stuff done and going and selling in the market. So listen, we like to score, you know, there's certainly, at least I would say culturally, an idea of what the church says men and women should be. And listen, there's some beautiful expressions of maleness and femaleness that are unique and different. And I feel like probably there's a message series coming somewhere where we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood. We won't try to do that here. We don't have time for it. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Men and women are different. Thank God. 
Come on. We need each other. Men can learn from women, right? Amen? They need to. We grow. We get the other picture of who God is, right? I can't think of anything worse than this church being led by a bunch of you that are your 19-year-old selves, men. Amen? Okay? That's all. I can smell the must from here. God have mercy. We've been shaped. We've been helped. And then vice versa. Women can learn from men. We get to receive from the fuller expression of who God is, which is why, by the way, which is why marriage exists in the first place. It's for the expression of covenant God. So this is important to the Lord. This is not unimportant. God's not going, well, I'm gonna step back and however it works out for you, we'll just see you when you get here on the other side. No, God is very deeply involved in your identity. In fact, he is our identity. And one of the ways, one of the ways that he is saying you, your identity is real and true is as a male and as a female. And so this word, gender, has become confused. Sin is what confuses. The enemy takes sin and shoves it deep down into our ear and our mind and to our heart so that now things have begun to morph in all the ways where we have, we live in a culture really of relativistic truth. And again, I would encourage you to go back and you can listen to week one. But now in people's minds, gender isn't just about uh, male and female. It can actually be about anything. There are now people that are identifying as trans species. I don't know if you've heard. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to, you to go down the rabbit hole, but it absolutely exists out there. I've seen firsthand people's accounts, how they now identify as an animal. They're called, they will call themselves furries, which they identify as a cat, which it feels like it's a moment for a joke, except for it's incredibly tragic. It's incredibly incredibly tra tragic. I have seen people advocating for their pronouns to be clown or clown self, to be frog or frog self. This is real. I'm not, there are people who are beginning to identify and this is what you can expect as we continue to live in a culture that says there is no solid truth. There is my truth, and when truth is relativistic, then we get to make life about whatever we want to, and in that, we die. The natural outgrowth of relativistic truth is that we all get to determine what we want to be. And if truth is determined by the individual, then I can be whatever race, I can be whatever species, sex, gender, whatever I want to be, as ludicrous as it may seem. And by the way, you know that this is a social construct, actually, because I just actually said the word race, but the truth is this, in our culture today, I'm not saying it'll be like this for forever, but in our culture today, if a white person were to say, I identify as a black person, it would not be okay and would not be accepted culturally. They would say it, they call it a cultural appropriation. So you understand now we're at a place where culture is defining, yes, you can identify as a cat or if you're a female as a male, 
but you cannot identify as from a different people group on the earth. So that should tell you there in and of itself, what we're operating in is a social construct, not rooted in any kind of truth or the way that we've been designed. And so it shouldn't surprise us as the children of God that in people's hunger, hear this, in people's hunger to find identity, to be long, to have a family that people will go searching in all kinds of places and when there isn't a truth in place, they'll go to the end of the world. And I say they because we've all been there. Because we can look and point the finger at the world, but the truth is we all have been separated from the love of God through our own brokenness and sin. And our heart will go 10,000 ways. What we're talking about this morning is one of the many ways where our design is twisted. The Bible consistently will say throughout the Old and New Testament that it prohibits crossing gender boundaries. We'll say all throughout old and new, uh, the, the man that you just saw who was conducting the interview wrote a book called Grace Slash Truth 2.0. And in it, he just gives some clarity quickly to what the scripture has to say. And I'll, we'll put it up there for you to be able to take a look at. You can write the text down, be, be able to see. But he says, scripture prohibits cross-dressing it condemns men who fundamentally confused gender distinctions, upholds culturally appropriate uh, expressions of gender differences, and critiques cultic practices that blur gender distinctions. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11:2 through 26 assumes that male and female binary is a part of God's created order. We'll get to see all throughout the scripture, male and female are important to God. They're important to how you're made and we get to live out of the fullness of that. Because Jesus came so that everyone, everyone could be free. Jesus came so that everyone would be free. Free from confusion, free from distortion, free from sin. Hear this, no matter how it affects you, because you might be in this room and go, this is not an issue for me, but beloved, sin has its effect in us in some way in which tells us we are in desperate, desperate, desperate need of a savior. And so the church doesn't get to stand with a haughty attitude, with a self-righteous attitude. We are the ones, listen, you're in this room by the grace of God, you're one who is saying, I am a sinner and I am in desperate need of a savior. I don't have what it takes to find and experience the fullness I was made for. I'm broken. That's every one of us, preacher included here. That's who we are, broken apart from God. But with God and in him, we're made brand new creations. So we don't stand pointing the finger at those in which who they have, that sin has had its effect in their heart and mind with respect to their gender. What we do begin to do is step in and say, oh God, what do you long to do in their lives? We come with compassion. If you want to step back and go, okay, what does Jesus think? Let's ask that question. 
What does Jesus think about gender identity? How would he respond to someone that was broken in sin? Well, the good news is we have record after record of how Jesus wants to handle those who live lives that are really broken. There's a story in Luke chapter 19. Jesus is doing his thing and a tax collector named Zacchaeus comes and wants to see this dude he'd been hearing about named Jesus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I was just waiting. You guys are horrible. All right. He was short and he couldn't see. So he scurries up a tree so that he could see this guy that everyone had been talking about. And Jesus sees him angling to try to come and see him. And he goes, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. I'm coming to your house. And he wants to go over to his house. Now, I want to just set this up because the tax collector is actually its own category of sinner. In fact, you'll see throughout the scripture it'll talk about Jesus was hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, meaning sinners, really horrible, broken people, and then tax collectors, the dregs of society. And the reason they did that is because tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman authority. They worked for the state. And what they did is this. They went to collect the Roman taxes, and the way they made their money was that they... They put fees and charges on top of what Rome was asking for in order to have their own money. So they could charge any amount they wanted to in order to line their own pockets. And they were seen as the greatest traitors in all of Israel. And they were despised because they profited off of the people. It's kind of evil, just being honest. I can see why they felt that way. And he, Jesus does what is the unthinkable. He asks him to come down and he goes over to his house. And I love how he expresses this in Luke chapter 19. When they saw, just when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So all of Israel, all the church, the religious people, they're looking and they're going, unbelievable. How would Jesus spend his time with this kind of rat? And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What Jesus did is said, Hey, And what grace says is, I'm here to have dinner with you today. Grace says, I'm here to have dinner with you today. I have compassion for your brokenness. I see what sin has done in ravaging your heart, and I want to hang with you. And truth says, you've swindled and broken people's lives. And he repented And Zacchaeus turned his heart. 
See, we're called to be people of grace and truth. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. And we're studying John. I think in the women's study, they're studying John. The men's study is kicking off this next week. And we're studying John. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the, as, of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Church, say it with me. Grace and truth. Grace says your brokenness might be different from my brokenness, but I don't look on you with disdain. I'm coming so that you can see that you are loved and that you can have identity and value and worth and how you were made in the image of God, male and female. And I'm hanging out with you today. I want you to know my heart. But truth says, but beloved, don't continue to walk the broken path that is destroying your life. I love you too much, so I'm coming to your house so that you'll know the truth. And the truth will do what, church? Set you free. If you want freedom in your heart, if you want freedom in your life, if you want freedom in your home, if you want freedom in your marriage, if you want freedom with your children, if you want freedom in every place you go, What you and I desperately need is the grace of God and the truth of God. I need the grace of God. I need it so badly. I need it so badly. And I need the truth of God. The truth of God tells me the things that are broken in me. And the grace of God says you can have belonging. You can identify with me. That's how I want my identity to be forever. In fact, this is the identity. It's the only identity that will ever matter is where is your heart with the Son of God? That's the only thing. You're going to live this life. You're going to get 85-ish, 95-ish years. It's one hour. We have one hour. We have one hour and then an eternity. And the only thing that will matter with this one hour is what did you do? What did you say about the Son of God? Did you let his truth come into you? And did you let his grace wash you and change you? So that even if you are in this room and you're wrestling with gender identity or gender dysphoria, you need to hear this. God so loves you. He is so for you. He is coming after your heart and he is calling you to himself. And he would, like he did with Zacchaeus, call you to say, no, I am not meant to live differently than how I was made. I am here to reflect the glory of my Father. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to turn our heart. But first, he wants to turn, he wants to turn us, and then he wants us to be conduits to help others see their heart turned as well. So the church is meant to come with compassion. Why? Because it's the kindness of God that will lead us to repentance. The holiness of God and the wrath of God against all sin is coming. Hear this. We're in the hour where you get to hear kindness of God is available to you and whatever broken thing is going on in you, God can make whole. He can heal. He can restore and transform 
if you'll trust him. He has a truth. As we said last week, and I encourage you to go listen to last week, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. There is no one that comes to the Father except through the Son. So let's turn our hearts to him. You guys stand with me as we close out. Father, we just close this moment by taking the time to say this first, Lord, thank you for saving us through your act on the cross. If you've called on the name of Jesus for forgiveness, for hope, for rest, for restoration, for redemption, for God to take every broken and small, broken, huge thing in you, you get to exchange all of those things for the fullness of life. That's the gospel. That's the, that's the gospel of good news. So would you just do that again? Would you allow your heart to turn? When we say the word repent, what it means is to turn and come back home. If there's anything in you, maybe it is gender dysphoria. Maybe it's anxiety, crippling, fear, toxic shame, guilt from the past, the feeling that you haven't or can't measure up as the world is often, often, often saying to us, you don't measure up, you don't belong. The only way you can belong is if you do this or that. Whatever it is, would you repent? Would you come back home, turn your heart, come back home and just offer it to the Lord? Say, here, Lord, here's what's broken in me give you what's broken in me. I offer it to you, my living sacrifice. I give you my heart. And as you hand that over and give that to him, would you turn your hands to receive holiness, righteousness, design, beauty, zeal, hope, peace, rest, truth. They're all yours to own and to have, to drink, to have rest on you, to change you fundamentally. We receive, Lord, all the gifts that you give to us, the forgiveness that comes when we offer you our sin. If you're here this morning and you have never given your heart to Jesus and asked him to take your sin and take the things that are disordered in you, this is the opportunity now. There's an open door, an open heaven, if you will, the Lord speaking and saying, now come to my family. Bring your sin and come and receive my righteousness. Receive my truth in a way that changes you. 
God, we receive the fullness of life that you gave us. We thank you for our design, male and female. We pray, God, we'd be able to live out of the fullness of our maleness and femaleness. God, would you do this in us? Would you give us compassion for those who are far from you or are broken? Certainly in this area of gender identity. Would you help us to know how to speak with wisdom and clarity to our children, to our neighbor, to our coworker, in ways that reflect grace and truth? Would you ask God to give you grace and truth? Lord, may we be people that are full of grace and truth. Thank you, God, that we get to step into your shoes as you walked this earth and called people into relationship with you and you removed them from their life of sin and you gave them fresh design and purpose. Would you give that, us that, that clarity and that anointing to be able to give that away? to love people well, to speak truth well, to do it with wisdom and kindness. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness. We're here ready to respond. We'll have some prayer partners that will be down front. We'd love to pray with you about anything going on in your world. We're here to partner with you. We'd love to be a praying church. We'll pray our benediction as we go that we'd walk in the peace of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who purchased it all for us on the cross, we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Blessings. Prayer partners be down front. We'll see you next week.